Amen. I am so glad that we have a worship team that is willing to lead us in worship. And uh, what a blessing it is. And I, I just want to thank them for being able to be used by God in that way. Uh, what a tremendous blessing. Uh, this morning we're going to wrap up our study in the book of Joshua. Uh, we've had seven sermon series on that, and, and uh, we're going to talk about lessons for a nation today. And I want you to know something. I want you to know that it's no accident that you're here today. You know, God is the one in control. We might like to think we have control, but he's the one in control. And he brought you here for a purpose today. And I know that as we tune in, we're going to hear what he has to say to each one of us. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. You know, he can he can take something that the preacher says. and You may be thinking, I'm, I've been reading your mail. But I, I want to tell you right now, I haven't been reading your mail. If, if, if you feel convicted in some way, it's because the Lord brought you here and he's putting that on your heart. But I recognize that God uses broken people to accomplish his kingdom work. He uses broken people. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity that he gives us. You know, life is filled with, with choices. We have choices that we make every single day. Choices are part, it's a necessary part of our lives. But we have to make choices, and the best choices are the ones that we make consciously and deliberately. We might say those that we make with intentionality. You know, we make a deliberate, a deliberate choice to do something. And I want you to just hold on to that thought for a minute. You know, on a Sunday afternoon, in 1920, nearly a hundred years ago, George W. True stood on the steps, the east steps of the national capital, and he preached a sermon. This is what he said. He said, grand in her rivers and her rills, grand in her woods and hills, grand in her wealth that glory yields, illustrious dead, historic fields, grand in her past her present grand in sunlit skies and fruitful land, grand in her strength in land and sea, grand in religious liberty. Folks, we live in the best country in the world. We live in the most blessed country in the world. For the freedoms that we enjoy. He then went on to say this. He said it behooves us. To look backward. As well as forward. We should be stronger and braver. If we thought oftener. Of the epic days and deeds. Of our beloved and immortal dead. The occasional backward look. Would give us poise. And patience. And courage. And fearlessness. And faith. See, this morning in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, Joshua is taking a look back on the history that the Israelites have. All of chapter 24 in Joshua, the book of Joshua, is him recalling the amazing things that God has done in and for the people of Israel. He starts off and he, he goes back and he, he talks about Abraham and he's reminding Israel of her past for the benefit of her future. Oh, we need to hear that today. We need to look at our past 
So for the benefit of our future. I mean, he, he talks about Abraham and how he, God called Abraham and he left the, the land of Ur and he, he went and, and, and he had his family and with, with, with Isaac and Jacob and so forth and how they, they served the Lord, how uh, Moses led the people out of captivity in Egypt and all the wonderful things that God had done for them. He's recalling this before the people because he is old. He is getting ready to, to, to pass on and he wants to challenge the people that they know where they came from. Oh, we need to understand where we've come from. You go on through verse the chapter 24 of Joshua, and he comes to that mountaintop verse. Verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers Worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorite, Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, he's challenging them. Look, if you want to go back and serve those other gods, that's fine. Go serve those other gods. But make a choice. Make it deliberate. And then do what you say you're going to do. Choose whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to read with me, if you will, in Joshua 23. I want to begin in verse 1 there and go down through uh, verse 5. It says, Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua was old, advanced in years. Then Joshua called for all Israel, their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers. And he said to them, I am old, advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes. For all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan, even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out before you and drive them from before you. And you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Look at verse 12 and following. He also says, For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations... These which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know that in your hearts and in your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. Not one word. All 
fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Verse 15, it shall come about that just as the good works which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all of the threats until you, he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the, the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Folks, the central issue here for Joshua is faithfulness to God. Their faithfulness to him, that they would walk and, 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 and serve him all of their days. He says, uh, to the covenant the Lord your God has given you, has commanded you. Faithfulness to the Lord. See, faithfulness is going to have a priority over every other issue. Folks, in the life of the church, faithfulness is more important than ecclesiology. Faithfulness is more important than the church that you join. It is more important than governmental style and structure. Faithfulness is more important than personal temperament or personal gifting or even spiritual gifting. It's more important than any kind of leadership style is our faithfulness to God. As his people who are called by his name, our faithfulness to him matters. See, underneath the imperatives is the wonderful reminder of God's faithfulness. The reason we have any hope at all of being faithful to Him is because of His absolute commitment of faithfulness to us. Did you hear what Joshua said about the Lord? That not one of His words had failed them? Not one. And the reason that their enemies could not stand in front of them and before them was because God was fighting their battles. God has been so faithful to us. It's faithfulness to Him that we need. I mean, Joshua was concerned for his nation's future. Are you concerned for your nation's future? Folks, it seems to me like we're in dire straits in our nation and in our land. We don't remember the rock that we've been cut out of, that we've been hewn from. We've forgotten the God who, who saved us. We've forgotten the God who established this great nation. I want to point out to you two lessons that, that the Israelites were to do to remain a strong and healthy nation. In this passage, the first lesson is that when a country forgets the voice and the vocabulary of God, it soon, soon fades into obscurity. You want to see the United States become a non-issue in the world? You want to see other, other countries look at us with disdain? Just keep going down the road we're going on. Because when, when a country forgets the voice and the vocabulary of God, fairly soon it will fade into obscurity. See, in Joshua, obedience and blessing are two sides of the same coin. Obedience and blessing go together. 
When we are obedient, we receive God's blessing. But I want you to understand something. Blessing. Blessing comes after the obedience. Obedience always precedes the blessing. We want God's blessing. We desire God's blessing. And you know what? God desires our obedience. They go together. Two sides of the same coin. But God will only bless the nation that remembers Him. That's what Joshua is telling him, the, the people of Israel. If you forget God, He's not going to fight your battles. If you act like He doesn't exist, then He won't fight your battles. He will not go before you. He will not bring that blessing upon you. You see, that obedience to Him and to His Word is so important. Look at verse 6. Joshua encourages them. He says, be very firm. Then to, excuse me, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God. As you have done to this day, for the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God, he is who fights for you just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. We wonder... Why we're getting decimated by the enemy. We wonder why the enemy seems to have free reign in our country. We've forgotten the Lord. We've turned away from Him. The second lesson is this. It concerns political correctness. No matter what, Israel must not compromise her faith at the expense of her relationship with God. Folks, we are being asked to do this every day. To compromise our faith at the expense of our relationship with God. Folks, it's not going to be long until America is going to have a lot of problems. We've sown the wind and now we're going to reap the whirlwind. You see, it, it, it's not rocket science here. When polite compromise and benign tolerance replace spiritual conviction, then moral and social structures of the nation are at risk. They've been at risk for quite some time. And what I want to see is I want to see the people of God, the believers in this land, stand up and be counted for our Lord and King. Truett reminded his listeners that our history is rooted in our religious liberties and that God has been closely associated with America's growth and prosperity. He said this, he said, we shall do well both as citizens and as Christians if we will hark back to the chief actors and lessons in the early and epic-making struggles of this great Western democracy. 
for the full establishment of civil and religious liberty. Back to the days of Washington and Jefferson and Madison. Back to the days of our Baptist fathers who have paid a great price through long generations that liberty, both religious and civil, may have free course and be glorified everywhere. See, I would submit to you today that the religious convictions that were common to our nation, that underpin our country, are gone. Those that held our country fast and made us a great nation are gone. While the Constitution of the United States does not provide for the establishment or endorsement of any religion, Justice Brewer, over a hundred years ago, used the words Christian nation in 1905. And it was clarified that we have rooted many traditions of our country in Christianity. But for the past several decades, America has been getting rid of her religious traditions. We've turned our back on those traditions for the more politically polite universalism that provides no moral guide and no social structure. And I want you to know something. The effect on America has been a total disaster. Let me give you a few statistics. And while I know that when you hear these statistics, it may not make you comfortable. I'm not trying to make you comfortable today. I'm trying to tell you the truth about where we are. A couple of these statistics. In America today, less than half of our country's children grow up in a home where there is a mother and a father. In the last 10 years, there has been a 400% increase in child abuse, significant enough to require a doctor's attention. That's been in the last 10 years, since 2008. In America, 2,795 teenage girls get pregnant every day. And every day, uh, 1,106 of those pregnancies are ended through abortion. According to the website Covenant Eyes, you can look this up. The United States owns the number one spot for the world that hosts the most porn sites in the world. A whopping 60% of the world's pornographic sites, websites, come from the United States. While we're there, we might as well pull the truck over and park. Because one in five, one out of five mobile searches on your phone is searching pornography. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography with their friends. One in five youth pastors, one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently 
was struggling. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. Only 7% of pastors report that their church has a ministry program for those struggling with pornography. 7%. That means 93% of the churches in the United States have not even addressed pornography. It gets worse. 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And according to the website, and this is the name of it, fightthenewdrug.org. Fightthenewdrug.org. In January, on January 3rd of this year, I'm not grabbing statistics from a long time ago. This was last month. The Twitter universe is home to 10 plus million porn accounts. 35% of all internet downloads are porn related. According to Innocent Justice, 624,000 child porn traders have been discovered online in the United States. The pornography industry has a global estimated $97 billion industry. The world's largest free porn site received over 33 and a half billion site visits last year, 2018. The U.S. Department of Justice quotes, Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. Folks, when our government is saying that there's a problem. Jill Manning, a sociologist, she says, research reveals many systemic effects of internet pornography that are undermining an already vulnerable culture of marriage and family. Even more disturbing is the fact that the first internet generations have not reached, excuse me, have not reached full maturity, so the upper limits of this impact have not yet been realized. Two more quick things here. Every two years, the internet is doubling in size. By 2020, pornography will equal 2,016,000 petabytes of accessible data online. You may not understand what a petabyte is. A thousand gigabytes is a terabyte. A million gigabytes is a petabyte. They're talking about having all of this, this vast amount of accessible pornography online. And it's doubling every two years. Folks, the only hope for America is to come to our senses. Like the prodigal did in the pigsty. 
and to shake off the filth from ourselves and to determine to go home to the Father who's scanning the horizon looking to see his sons and daughters coming back home. The big question is, what does it mean to serve the Lord? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, there's a lot that, I, that, that we've covered already in this, in this message. And I know I'm plowing close to the corn, and by doing that, I put a big target on my back. Somebody needs to say something. Somebody needs to preach the truth. Because we're eating up with it. It's a cancer that is spreading. And as long as it's kept in the dark, nothing will change. Because the enemy loves what's in the dark. But when we shed light on it, what happens is it begins to shrink back. Because what happens is, is people get their hearts right with God. They begin to confess that they are living in sin. That there are sinful activities that are going on. I mean, if we were to talk about what does it mean to, to choose, deliberately choose to serve the Lord. I mean, let's use marriage as an, an analogy. What would you say to someone that, that asks you, what does it mean um, to choose someone as your spouse? I mean, would you say it means giving them a fancy ring? Would you say that it means attending a ceremony in front of your friends and family? Is that marriage? Or is it living together under one roof? Is that, is that marriage? And while each one of those may be a part of, of marriage and, and, and it may have something to speak to it, it's not marriage in its entirety. You see, choosing someone as a spouse is a commitment where you give yourself to someone else. You give yourself to that person. That's your, that's your commitment. That's your marriage. It's a, it's a desire to give yourself to another person. And it's a desire to be attentive to what that person needs. It's a declaration that you will stand with that person through good times and bad times, through the changes and through the surprises and through the advancement of years. Because we're not getting any younger. It's a commitment of yourself to another, I want to say in a way that is different from every other relationship that you have. It's a commitment like no other. But folks, it's the same way with our commitment to the Lord. It's different from every other commitment that we make. It's more than just joining a church. It's more than just partaking in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's more than just doing that. It's more than just saying words. Choosing to follow Christ is a commitment and choosing to serve the Lord, I want to say, means at least these five things. I, I want you to write these down. First, it means we must be willing to, to quit straddling the fence. Oh, we've got so many people that have one, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And we're trying to live it both ways. We're trying to, to hedge our bets, if 
You see, fence straddling is an American art form. We like that because we want to keep our options open. With Jesus Christ, you cannot keep your options open. See, politicians, they get elected by learning how to sound like a person of conviction while telling everybody what they want to hear. We're masters at finding ways to hold on to the idols of the world while we claim to follow the Lord. And we declare that we want to follow the Lord, but still we want the stuff that the world has and that the world offers. The power, the, the, the indulgence, the, the freedom to choose which commands of God we will obey and which ones we will not. And I want to tell you today, this is unacceptable. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to get off the fence. We need to get on with Him and away from the world. See, it's just as unacceptable to the Lord as a spouse who has a mistress on the side. Because that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. See, God wants our exclusive commitment. That's why Joshua told them, choose today whom you're going to serve. If you want to serve those other gods, then go do it. But make a choice and make it deliberate. Either get in or get out. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Second, we must be willing to root out everything that hinders our commitment. I mean, Joshua told the Israelites that they had to get rid of their idols. Get rid of them. Be done with them. And we have to do the same thing. If we're going to truly become a follower of Christ, we have to take an honest look at our own sin. Those things that have stolen our affection. Because we, we refuse to make excuses. We, we, we have to start with that, uh, not making excuses, and doing the real battle with the things that are going on in our sinful tendencies. See, I, I highlighted pornography because nobody wants to talk about it. But it needs to be out there. Because it's a problem. And we need that. We need to be real about that. And it, it means that we must eliminate doing, uh, eliminate the things in our life that draws us away from our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, if we're serious about our commitment, then we will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever is necessary to honor and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. I would say thirdly, we must seek to influence the world and not be influenced by it. See, those who follow Christ must be willing to stand up and confront sinful behaviors. Folks, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We must resist worldly thinking. We must resist a political correctness that demands that we lower our standard of what it means to honor the Lord and His holiness. See, our job is to show the love of God even in a hate-filled society. Even in a society that is divisive, we are to be peacemakers. We are to be the ones bringing the kingdom of God, carrying the kingdom Values to a pagan society. We have to live true to the gospel. 
even when it's unpopular. Fourthly, I would say this, we must pursue our discipleship as a serious commitment. Most of us just tend to dabble at it. Kind of like we do our marriages. I say that because how often do you intentionally work on your marriage? How often, how many times a week, how many times a year, how many times a day do you intentionally do things that will build up your marriage? Because most of us put it on autopilot and we just bump along and we do our own thing and then we wonder why we drift apart. Folks, it's in epidemic proportions. And if, if we're not going to, if the church is not going to lift up and elevate the biblical model of marriage and God's design, then we might as well just close the doors and go home. Because nobody is preaching that message. And it's no wonder that our society finds itself where it's at because we've not been intentional about what God has called us to do. We have to be willing to take our discipleship with a serious commitment. I mean, Joshua warned the people that if they professed faith, but they continued to play with the idols of the world, that they would indeed, indeed face God's judgment. What are we expecting? Something different? That would be insanity. In Matthew 23, Jesus, he pronounced woes on those who made great boasts about their allegiance to the Lord but did not follow through. And somewhere along the line, good intentions and pious words must translate into action of being who we claim to be. I would say finally, we must be willing to make a lifetime commitment. You know, we've all met people who went through a discipleship fad, as I like to call it. You know, they were religious for a while. They were very enthusiastic. They got on fire and they were at every meeting and they were outspoken. And then all of a sudden they, they seemed to lose interest and they moved on to the next fad in their life. It may have been exercise. It may have been the latest diet. It may have been cleaning up the environment. Who knows? It might have even been saving the whales. But they got excited about something and they moved on to the next fad. Their discipleship was just that. It was a fad. It wasn't real. The kind of discipleship God desires is one that is total in our being. Jesus said, no man in Luke 9, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Make no mistake. If you decide to follow Jesus, then there is no turning back. It means you truly are going to bet your life on Him. And it means you will stand or you will fall with Him. My commitment to this pretty blonde right down here is that I will stand or I will fall with her. My commitment to the Lord is nothing less but even greater 
than this commitment. You can see it over the test of time. When people are all in with the Lord, it shows. It's like a person who enlists in the military. They're, they're, they enlist in the military and they make a commitment and, and they, they, they give themselves to the service for a period of time. They sign up. They, they say, well, I will, I will be yours for the next four years. There's a time limit on that, if you will. And during that time, they endure training. I didn't say they thrive during the training. I said they endure the training. They go where they're sent. They do what they're told. And once that commitment is made, you don't pick and choose what you're going to do or where you're going to go. The U.S. government picks that for you. You live under a new authority. You know, when I was a kid, small one, we used to sing a song. It was, I'm in the Lord's army. Now, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. The only difference for the child of God is that our enlistment is forever. It's indefinite. It's for our whole lifetime. We're in His service for life. And in choosing to serve Him and to submit to Him, we submit to His authority. He's the boss. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one deciding where we will go and what we will do and, and, and how we will live. And we have Him as our authority. We are no longer in charge of ourselves. We're agreeing to train hard. To endure the training and to do what God commands us to do. Because ultimately we serve Him. He doesn't serve us. Well, wait a minute, Rich. That's not the way it works in my life. Yes, it is. We serve Him. He doesn't serve us. He's the King. He's the boss. He's the one that we take our direction from. See, I would say this to you this morning. It's time to make a choice. It's time this day to decide whether you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because from here on out, the choice will be more apparent in the world. You know, when two minds are close together, and they begin to divide. Right there at the division, it's easy to step over on one side or the other. But the further you get down that line, the further apart they're going to be. And folks, that's where we're at in our nation. And you need to decide now if you're going to be all in with Jesus Christ or not. But I want you to know something. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, according to Joshua, there can be no compromise. There can be no compromise in doing what is right and what is wrong. I want to leave you with a verse, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of commitment. And the verse is this, 2 Chronicles 7.14. And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Loving Father, your word says that if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, Father, if we will turn from our wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your, your word to us, your love letter. And I, I ask God that you would help us to take that to heart. Father, I pray that a great repentance would fall upon the body of Christ. Father, that your people would humble themselves and pray and seek you and turn away from the things that, that we've helped you. Father, I pray that as we seek you this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, when will Jesus be enough for your people? When will we trust him and him alone? Father, I pray that you would bring about a great conviction in our hearts. Father, we would choose deliberately, with intentionality, to follow you no matter what. Lord, I pray for hearts of fire. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be poured out all over this place, all over this land. God, that your people would grieve for the condition of our name, of our nation. Father, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, may that be so in my heart, in our home, in our church, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our nation. Father, we love you. I pray that today, Father, we would decide to follow you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.